for listening to the Cornerstone Tulsa podcast. Our mission is to cultivate a community shaped by the gospel for the renewal of all things. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit our website at cornerstonetulsa.org or find us on social media. And with that, let's hop into this week's teaching. Just as a body through one has many parts, but all in its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. It would not be for that reason stop it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, would the sen- wait, what would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Good job, Bennett. Thank you. Y'all can be seated. A couple of months into the pandemic last year, uh, I was talking with a a friend who's a mentor and a wise person, and and he was observing that when I talked about myself, I used a lot of mechanical imagery. So I would say things like, like, I'm just revved up, or I'm firing on all cylinders, or I'm running on empty. And in fact, I remember in the course of conversation with him, I shared that I had had a stress dream. And I remember this dream vividly. In the dream, I was driving, and I was very sleepy, and I'm pretty sure my children were in the back seat, and I was driving through Tulsa going way too quickly, being way too sleepy, sleepy, sleepy. and I remember turning left, and oncoming traffic was coming this way, and I woke up really nervous. And he pointed out, it was, it was, uh, I had a blind spot, I wasn't aware that I was using this mechanical imagery to describe myself a lot, and he asked me really wisely, what's the risk of using mechanical imagery to describe and to think about yourself. Well, what's the risk? Well, I start to apply standards to myself that are just unrealistic. You know, you have that light bulb that you always leave on and it's been on for six years. Uh, We are unlike that light bulb. We have limits. We have to turn off. I was not respecting that I am a creature with limitations and I need to respect those limitations. God created a world in which we work and we rest. And I was setting myself up for burnout, which was precisely the road that I was on. And I bring all of it up to demonstrate that the language that we use to describe ourselves, to make sense of the world, the metaphors that we employ to understand, you know, the diversity of things in God's creation tend to shape our imagination for and our participation in that kind of thing. 
by thinking about myself in mechanical terms, I was, I, was, I was holding myself to unrealistic standards. The metaphors and the language I was using was setting myself up for failure. Language and the metaphors we employ to understand some of the things that are the most important to us in life can either help or hinder our ability to live into God's vision for flourishing. I say the metaphors matter. Go back to high school English. What is a metaphor? Metaphor is a word or phrase for one thing that's used to refer to another thing to show or suggest that they are similar. Uh, Emily is my wife. Many of you know Emily. If, if I were to describe how I feel about Emily uh, by saying it's akin to how I feel about my favorite pair of work boots, or if I were to talk about my relationship with my children and describe it in terms like I described the absolute worst summer job I ever had as a teenager. Or when I use the machine language to explain how I was getting on in life, you would all agree those are bad metaphors. That's bad language. Because Emily is so much more important than a pair of boots, and my children, parenting in general, is so much better than the worst job I ever had as a teenager, and I am not a machine. Pay attention to the language that we use, the metaphors that we employ, especially regarding those things that are the most precious in life and the most important to us. Now, with this in mind, uh, go back to the text that Bennett just read for us, which you may be familiar with in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul is employing a metaphor to talk about the church. Sometimes there can be good metaphors and sometimes there can be bad metaphors, but we need to pay attention to them and see what is illuminated by the use of the metaphor. So listen to it again, just the first couple of verses. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now dwell on that imagery. Think about what's going on silently within your, your biological body right now. And think about what Paul might be illuminating for us about the nature and the purpose of the church. Now think about the, very, the various parts of your body. You've got a spleen and colon and intestines and heart and fingers and cuticles. I mean, you've got, all, you've got this amazingly complex body. Uh, what, what are some things that are true about the parts of our body? Well, there's a certain permanence or I would say mostly permanence to the parts of our body. I no longer have my appendix. Dr. Thomas took that a couple of years ago. Uh, in, in rare cases, we lose, you know, parts. We, we, we get transplants, things like that. It's there. It was a magic trick. <laughs> Except in somewhat rare circumstances, uh, the parts of our body are permanent. Isn't it amazing that the heart that you were born with in 99.9% .9 of cases is going to be with you until, God willing, you become an old person? You know, this, this body is, is pretty much permanent, and it will be renewed in the age to come. There's the human body has a sense of permanence. There's also a sense of specialization within the body. All of these millions of different parts 
doing their thing. It's amazing how it works. And yet, despite the specialization, there's also a profound sense of unity. All of these parts belong to the person. In fact, if you put someone else's part, like you get a transplant, that your body can actually reject it because they know this is not native. This is not original. There's permanence, there's specialization, there's a sense of unity within our body. Now, Paul's using this imagery, metaphor of the body, to describe the church. How does that give us an insight into the nature and the purpose and the function of the church? Well, within the church, there ought to be a sense of permanence. Spleens don't routinely jump from body to body to body to body. That would be a little strange. Transplants do happen, but it's rare. But what does that say to us about the nature of the church, that our relationship with the church ought to have a sense of permanence to it? You know, the idea of church hopping, given the metaphor of church as body, is a little bit strange. There's a sense of permanence to, uh, to the parts of the body and their membership to the body. Thinking about specialization within the body, each one of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus have been given gifts from the Holy Spirit. Uh, you have been given gifts to employ within the body. I don't know if you're the little toe or you're, you know, the, the kidneys or the nose, but every one of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus have been given gifts to serve the body. And as we talked about in the week about the operation of the Holy Spirit, these gifts are not all the same. Uh, sometimes you, you think of the more public gifts, but we talked about giving as a gift, serving as a gift, encouragement as a gift. God has uniquely wired you to perform a function within the body of Christ, so use your gifts to serve the body. Uh, how do we see the unity of the church? You know, the, the members of the, of the body, the parts of the body are, are, are one. Uh, make every effort to be at peace within the body to be familiar with the other parts of the body, and especially to be familiar with Christ, who is the head of the body. Paul uses this metaphor of the body to, to say something to us important about the church. There are, of course, other metaphors in the Bible that I won't go into in depth right now. We talk about the church as a flock. Christ is the shepherd of the flock, guiding us toward a destination, protecting us from our enemies, you know, tending us, going after the lost. Another evocative metaphor used in Scripture is the church as the bride of Christ. We see that in Revelation 22, the new Jerusalem uh, coming out, down out of heaven, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. All these, these metaphors, this language to understand the nature of the church. If you want to understand, if you want to, to really get at what you understand the church to be or what another person understands the church to be, we need only look at the way that they use that word church. I find that most of us in, in some of the definitions I'm about to give would not agree that that's really church, but we use the word church unreflectively. By unreflectively, I mean we don't really think about it all that much, but I want to encourage us to do it because the language and the metaphors that we use to describe the, the church uh, shapes the way that we engage in it. So, after service today, some person is going to ask somebody in this room, hey, how is church? What is church in that question? Church is the worship service itself. Is that 
is that church? Is that the nature of church? What they mean is, how is the worship service? And the worship service can be ranked according good to bad. You know, was the music good? Was the sermon nice and short like everybody prefers? You know, did the preacher have his fly down? They're asking, when they ask, how was church? And you guys all just checked. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Andy. Uh, they're asking about the worship service. But the church is not limited to its worship gatherings. And somebody, you know, may want to join you at a cornerstone worship service and say, okay, hey, where's the church? What do they mean by church in that sentence? They mean, where is the building? And in that case, building can be scored, you know, good to bad, depending on the location, the cleanliness, you know, the whole, like, architecture and design, the feel, the air temperature. But the church is not limited to its physical spaces, its gathering spaces. For many people, uh, th their language doesn't quite get at it, but if you pay attention to their behavior, you see that the church is too closely linked with the identity and the personality of the pastor. And from the beginning, the, 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 since our church launched, my, my true hope and ambition is that if someday I accidentally get hit by a train or a bus or something, that our, that our community will have continuity because, God willing, it has not been built around me. And if ever it does... Leave, you have my permission. Run away. For many people, the church is a pastor personality cult. And I am not the head of the body. It's Christ. If you leave here talking about me or the pastor, if our social media just tells a story about me, it is transitioned from being Christ church to being a personality cult or some kind of weird variety show. The church is not its pastor. It's not its building. It's not its worship gathering. Uh, there was this sign on the church building that I saw once. And it was a new facility for this church. They had just moved in, and they had this huge banner across the building. And it said, Welcome to our new home. And it had a picture of the husband and wife pastor team and then the name of the church. I think, what story is this sign telling about the nature of the church? Uh, one, that it's the building. Two, that it's the pastor's. Three, that it's the pastor's house, I guess. <laughs> Welcome to our new home. Did you get like, do we need to bring a Chinette set or something? I don't know. Are you having a, a shower, a welcoming shower? We can do better than this. Now, how telling is it that the same creed that affirms the doctrine of the Trinity also affirms the necessity of the church? I, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church and the communion of saints. That's what we're talking about today. The same creed that affirms the Trinity, the dual natures of Christ, affirms the church, which tells us that the church is integral to what God is doing in the world, not periphery, not on the periphery of what God is doing in the world. The creed says, I believe in the holy Catholic church. Uh, by holy, we mean the church is set apart by God for a purpose. The church is holy not because we are intrinsically perfectly holy on our own. We have enough warts as a local church and as individuals to you know, help us know that we all know that's not true. The church is holy because we belong to a holy God. The church is holy because we are the body of Christ. Colossians chapter 1. He, Jesus, is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. We are only holy insofar as we belong to a holy God. We're holy because we've been set apart for a purpose and a mission that's unique in the world. 1 Peter chapter 2. But you are a chosen people, 
a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Again, all evocative metaphors and language in describing the church. You are God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. The church is holy because it belongs to Christ. The church is holy because we've been given a holy mission. Now, some of you, from the time we began talking through the creed, were curious whether we were Roman Catholic. And I, I've said almost every week that holy Catholic does not mean Roman Catholic, and this is the explanation you've been waiting for. The creed does not say, I believe in the Roman Catholic Church. I believe in the holy Catholic Church. The word Catholic means according to the whole. Or it means universal, not universalist. It means I believe in Christ's whole church throughout the world and throughout time. Wherever Christ is the head of the body, that's, what, that's the thing that I believe in. It's bigger than some sect. It's bigger than a de denomination. I believe in Christ's holy church. The spirit of Catholicism, the spirit, and I don't, again, not Roman Catholicism, but the spirit of Catholicism being part of Christ's church is reflected in what's called the Vincentian Canon. Uh, Vincent of Lorenz in the 5th century uh, said that church is Catholic, which is you know, truly apostolic, part of the whole, which professes the whole faith that the whole body of Christian believers has in all times and all places professed. So it's not just this one little region, it's not this one little sect, but, but Catholic Christianity is something that we can all agree on, that from the earliest, most, most primitive expressions of Christianity to now, preserved in our best thinking and worship, this is what Christians believe. And there are three tests for the Catholic spirit. The first is universality. It means that all throughout the world, this is what Christians believe. The whole church in the whole world. Uh, one of the most profound things I heard Tom Harrison, the senior pastor of Asbury, say was speaking against some of the excesses of the word of faith movement, which is like, you know, if you believe you're going to get a Cadillac today. He says, if it doesn't work in Africa, it doesn't work. If it doesn't work in impoverished nations, then this is just, this is an American sectarian uh, kind of bizarre thing that would fail the test of universality, that which has been believed everywhere, the whole church in the whole world, not a regional or a sectarian uh, um, distinctive. A second uh, distinctive of, or a second test for uh, the Catholic spirit is antiquity. By antiquity, meaning it, it, it has aged, it has existed from the beginning. When we're trying to understand what Christians believe, we have to go back to our most ancient definitions. We need to get as close to the mouth of Jesus as we can. That's why preserving the scriptures are so important, but also what's, what we understand to be apostolic doctrine. The stuff that Jesus taught the apostles and the church has preserved, that's that which is, uh, that's, passes the test of antiquity ancient definitions and understanding of Christian teaching. I hope that no one ever describes me as an innovative pastor. And they probably won't because I'm not all that innovative. And I've said before, I hope that no one thinks that Cornerstone is up to anything new because we're just up to something really, really old. If I'm ever truly innovative, if we ever say anything theologically novel, leave this church. 
We're holding on to that which is old. It's, it's the ancient paths. Remember that conversation from uh, early this year. Seek the ancient paths. Pass the test of antiquity. And then finally, the third test for the Catholic spirit is agreement. Where has the, the united church agreed upon? This is what was passed on to us. We see this in, in things like the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed. What has what the church agreed on? And, and the Catholic spirit could be reflected in the words centered orthodoxy. Centered orthodoxy. So this, this, this row right here, imagine it being like a really wide river, okay? A really wide river where I want to live as a Christian is right in the middle of it. If it represents this is what's been passed on to us, this is what we've been taught, this is what we've inherited, that which has been believed everywhere at all times by all believers. I want to be smack dab swimming in the middle of the river in whatever direction it's flowing. But you can also imagine theologically, like there, there, are, there are tributaries, there are streams going off of the river. And sometimes those streams like end up in bizarre territory. They may have a little bit of the water of the river left in them, but they have gone in a different direction. We want to live in the middle of the river. That's also great imagery if you go to the prophet Ezekiel, if you go to Revelation in 21 and 22, the river flowing from the throne. Uh, the, the, the Catholic spirit is, is centered orthodoxy. It's being smack dab in the middle of the river. Now, as, as our church has been growing over the last year or so, it's really struck me that how positively curious I have perceived many people in the church to be about the fact that we are an Anglican church. And for a long time, I have joked, you know, this Anglican thing that we're all still figuring out. And I've, I've, I've done that joke often enough to try to set the common denominator that we are all still figuring it out. And I've just been sensing it's time to begin explaining more what does it mean that we belong to uh, the Anglican church. And something a couple of years ago that convinced me that the Anglican church was a really good place for us to land in was something that my bishop, uh, Todd Hunter, said. And in one of the first days that I was with him, I heard Todd say, Anglicanism at its best is not self-referential or self-obsessed. And as he explained what he meant, he said, I am an Anglican bishop, and yet my goal is not to produce more Anglicans in the world. I want to produce more Christians. I want to produce more followers of Jesus. Anglicanism at its best is just swimming right in the middle of the river. And as people ask me, like, what is the deal with, with being Anglican? What is that all about? I said, well, quite simply, it just means we're striving to, to be biblical. We're striving to be prayerful striving to be sacramental, historical, in touch with what God has done, the best of what, what Christ has done in the church in the last 2,000 years. To be Anglicans, to be open to the Holy Spirit. It's to be fair-minded and to use our brains. It's to be emotionally balanced and not wackos. And it's to be engaged in the world. At its best, this tribe is not trying to make more Anglicans, but just trying to be faithful Christians who are swimming in the middle of the river. And I think, yeah, that's something that I want to multiply in Tulsa. That's something that I want to see multiplied in Oklahoma and around the world. Christians who are swimming in the middle of the river, who are living into this Catholic spirit of that which has been believed always at all times by all believers. Now, you may have noticed that I've not yet defined the central word of our discussion, which is church. 
I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. The New Testament uh, Greek word used for church is ekklesia, ek meaning out, and the second word comes from the root kaleo, which means to call. To be the church is to be called out from the world to follow Jesus. The church is not the building. The church is not the pastor. The church is not the worship service itself. The church is those who have been called out from the world by Jesus and empowered by the Spirit. Taking on from Jesus a new view of life and a new, uh, a new conception of life altogether. Tom Oden, who I've been quoting a number of times recently, said, The church is not a group of people groping for a philosophy of life appropriate to modern conditions, but a living body already being shaped by apostolic teaching, that, that which is antiquated, the stuff that Jesus passed on from the beginning. It's holding steady to that teaching that is a principal mark of the authenticity of the ecclesia, which is why, in my view, and I use this word in this particular way, the church ought to be conservative, meaning we're conserving that which has been passed on to us. And so part of the assignment and the curiosity for those who constitute the church today is to ask, what was Christ's vision for the church? What is the, the doctrine or the belief? What's the, the habit? What's the manner of being appropriate to that which Christ has passed on to us? I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. But the church is bigger than just the individual worship gatherings. Of course, like the church is not sectarian. Uh, the church is, Christ's church is something that transcends place and time. And even now as we gather for worship, we are joining with the church triumphant. This is what's uh, communicated by this phrase, I believe in the communion of saints. John uh, got some great visions which he captured in Revelation of all of heaven around the throne of God. Around the throne, the, the, the martyrs are crying out, how long, Lord, how long until you avenge us? But there are these mysterious pictures of living creatures and elders and angels and the church that's gone before us now in the presence of Christ at worship. And when a local churches, when the church gathers to worship and to receive the Eucharist as we're going to this morning, we're joining in in the present tense in the worship of heaven. And there are moments when it feels like the veil between heaven and earth is lifted. And think about all those people that are no longer with us who are uh, passed from our, our body. I think about, you know, the generations past. Um, man, I'll never forget. Uh, there was a couple in our church, most of you will know, Joe and Beverly, who, who had been tragically killed. And at their service, right before the shutdown for COVID, uh, their, their daughter Amanda chose a song to be in their funeral. And it reflected the spirit of the communion of saints. And it, it picks up on Hebrews chapter 12. The, the, the verse that inspired the song says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, in chapter 11 of Hebrews, the author is talking about all these who've gone before us, who've been led on these journeys of faith, and sometimes not even seen what they were promised. They were waiting for the world that is to come. In view of all of those who've gone before us in faithfulness, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let's throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let's run with, with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, 
the author and the perfecter of our faith. And Amanda, thinking about her parents and wanting in the face of evil for the church to, do, to be who we were called to be, picked out this song that was sung at the service and the songwriter said, I can feel the eyes of heaven. The angels and the saints, all who go gone before us, surround us here today. So throw off every burden and lift up our gaze. Get lost in the story and lost in his face. Author of my faith, finisher of my story. I can run this race because Jesus reigned it before me. He's on my side. I have everything that I need. If you listen close, you'll hear heaven cheering for me. Come on. Come on. Come on. Children of God, be who you are. Come on. You might think of a person who's a hero to you in the faith. There's continuity and belonging still. That there will be a reunion. I think of that great image from the last battle, C.S. Lewis. Go read the Chronicles of Narnia where those reunions happen. But there's a sense of continuity, especially in worship, between the church that is here and the church that's already gathered around the throne in heaven. The eyes of heaven are on us. There's a sense of continuity. We'll be reunited again, which was, it was great comfort, especially if you think of the first centuries of the church when to be baptized was almost to be a death sentence. They knew that there's continuity. The story's not over. When a person is baptized into Christ Jesus, they are, they are at, at the core being peopled. They're being welcomed into a community, a community that's bigger than a nation state. It's bigger than however many can fit in this building. It's, a, it's we're welcomed into a body with Christ as the head. We're joined with believers of every nation and race and tribe and language believers throughout time and will be joined and linked up with them in the age to come. The church is not peripheral to what God is doing in the world. It's actually integral. We should pray for the church. The church has a lot of warts. There's a, please forgive my language. Uh, I can't, I'm not going to say it. There's too many kids in the room. Never mind. <laughs> What do we do in response to this? I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, <laughs> the communion of saints. Your kids are going to go home and say a bad word because of me. I'm not going to do it. Maybe at the next service. <laughs> what do we do about all this? One, uh, I'm going to give you five encouragements. First, one, sharpen our language. I've just done this with our staff, uh, trying to, let's be disciplined in how we use the word church. Uh, you don't go to church. You go to a worship gathering. Uh, you don't go to, like, I've been trying to say a bit with, you know, a bit of awkwardness, saying, like, I say the, word, the words church building a lot. I'm going up to the church building. I know I'm, getting, I'm doing a good job with it because my children are catching on. Uh, but, but we have worship services in the church building. But the building could go down, and we could be banned from having worship services, and yet we still have a church. The church is not the building. The church is not the, the worship services. The church is definitely not me. The church is the people. It's those who've been baptized into Christ Jesus. So we need to sharpen our language. Ask your kids as you're having this conversation, who or what is the church? The church is the people. Okay, number two. 
consider how you're relating to the church. Go back to the metaphor and the imagery of the body. Your spleen is not jumping around from church to church to church to church. Uh, you know, organ transplants happen sometimes, but it's really rare. Consider how you're relating to the church. I would encourage you, whether it's this local church or another one, to plant and commit somewhere for the long haul. I am part of this body. Other people should be able to know it. Consider how you're relating. Three, uh, use your gifts to serve the body. Uh, you have gifts, ability, skills, passions that we're missing out on, that you're, you're holding off, you're holding back from us. We need you. Fourth, be part of the body's immune system response. The church is jacked up. The church has diseases. We have been seeing and learning how to diagnose some of these diseases uh, more readily. Some of, I hope many of you are listening to uh, the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast. There's, there's a sickness within the church of celebrity Christianity. Among innumerable other vulnerabilities, ghosting a local body of Christ is not helping to solve that. Hopping from local church to local church is not helping to address that. Critiquing at a distance is not helping solve those things. Be a part of the, immu the, the, the body's immune system response to these sicknesses as you're committed to a body and using your gifts. Call the church. Call your pastors to, to live into God's calling for us. Be part of the body's immune system response. And then finally, learn from the communion of saints. A lot of the things that we are dealing with right now are not novel to Christ's church. And there are 2,000 years of people who have been faithful ahead of us. Also been faith people who have screwed it up like us before us. And we can learn from them and we should learn from them. There are great books. Justo Gonzalez has a series called The Story of Christianity. I love The Patient Ferment of the Early Church by Alan Kreider. There's tons of stuff. I, was, I, I can't talk about the church without thinking of this song, the old song by Matt Redman, The Heart of Worship. You may know the story of his church in the UK. They had been doing big performance, rah-rah, you know, worship gatherings for a while. And they, they sensed that they were, they were contorting it into something that it was not meant to be. And so for a season, they stopped really doing the whole fog and lights, big, loud music thing all together. And they just got together in a room like this and just talked about Jesus and prayed together and then waited to see what would happen. And uh, out of this season of kind of unlearning, a, a new song came out. So it was the heart of worship. And in the, the song, they had this line, I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing that I've made it. And we have made, I have made the church at times other than what Christ intended. And so it just invites repentance. And it also like, provokes us to ask the Lord to inspire us with a renewed vision of what He wants the church to be. And so I would just invite you to, to do that. Lord, forgive me for, uh, for engaging at the periphery. Give me the grace to hop into the middle. Lord, forgive me for, for like, like contributing to this whole uh, church as show or church as building or church as pastor cult and help us to recapture your vision for what you want to do in the world. Let's pray together. And if you're serving communion, you can go ahead and come. Lord Jesus, I pray that you'd forgive us for being inventive about your church. 
I pray that you'd forgive us uh, for making it about ourselves or primarily a platform for self-expression or self-realization. Lord, may we truly understand that you are the head of the body. This church is yours. All churches are yours. I pray that you pour out your spirit on us today as we receive Holy Communion, that we would have a renewed vision of the Lordship of Jesus Christ over the church. If we're to be who you've called us to be, remember the words of Scripture, the, the church of the living God is the pillar and the foundation of truth. This cannot happen apart from the work of your Spirit. So regenerate us, Lord Jesus. Pour out your Spirit on us, Lord Jesus. Help us to be truly the body of Christ, each of us using our gifts, each of us submitting to you, Christ, the head, each of us a part of the body's immune system response. I pray that you pour out your, your Holy Spirit on, on every church in the city of Tulsa. Pour out your Holy Spirit on Christ the King and on St. Mary's and St. Anthony's. Pour out your Holy Spirit on the church at Battle Creek and Asbury and Southern Hills Baptist Church. Pray that you would, you would lead us, that you'd make us one. That you'd help us to surrender you know, sectarian differences and find ourselves just swimming in the middle of the river, keeping in step with what it is that you're trying to do in the world. And Lord, as we receive Holy Communion, we just say we're open to you. Whatever you want to do in us, we're open to. Pour out your spirit on this bread and this wine. Make it be more than just that for us, but a means by which we encounter the risen Christ through the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're so grateful you listened to this week's sermon at Cornerstone. If you live in the Tulsa area, we'd love to invite you to be a part of our worship and community in person. You can find service times and more information at our website. But wherever you are, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May he turn his face towards you and give you peace.